Hello and welcome to Wall Street Vision. On this show, we explore the thinking of the best investors and we examine lessons from the stock market. I'm your host, Vlad Dolgochev. This show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. Check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. Hello, hello, Vision Nation. In this week's episode, we'll cover the amazing story of Jim Simons and his hedge fund called Renaissance Technologies. They have this fund called the Medallion Fund, and it has the best track record of any fund in the history of investing. Okay, that seems like a bunch of hype. Just how good is this fund? Well, if you had invested $100 into the fund in 88, 30 years later, you would have had around $400 million if we don't count for fees. I know that seems insane, but the math works out. Check out the show notes for a link to the white paper on this. You know how in school teachers always said, don't make fun of the nerds because one day you'll be working for them. I always thought that they were just saying that to make nerds like me feel better. But the teachers had a good point. This fund is proof that the nerds have conquered Wall Street. So let's dive into Jim's story. He spent his early career getting a math PhD, and he was quite an accomplished math guy. Even if his career would have ended after his math years, he'd still be fairly well known in the scientific community. He's an obsessive, dedicated type of person. He spent six years solving this really complicated math problem. And this was way before his hedge fund career even started. A little later in life, Jim wanted to start something new, so he went on to the Institute of Defense Analysis. This was during the Vietnam War, and he was trying to break enemy codes to help the U.S. military. That's where he first learned about computers and algorithms. That's also where Jim got fired from his job. It's interesting how that went down. The head honcho at the defense organization was this general named Maxwell. So the general wrote an article in the New York Times, and it was a very pro-Vietnam War kind of article. He was pretty much saying that what the U.S. was doing was great, and they would win the war, and they should just stay the course. Well, Jim didn't like that, so he wrote his own letter to the Times, saying that not everyone working for Maxwell supported the war. Of course, the New York Times published that letter right away. Newspapers love this sort of drama, right? Then a few months later, a guy from Newsweek went to Jim for an interview. And Jim pretty much said that he doesn't agree with the war, so he's spending most of the time at his job doing math stuff instead of actually trying to do army stuff. Well, you guys can guess what's coming up next, right? Jim got fired from his job that same day. It's interesting that some of these hedge fund guys have sort of a rebellious streak. Ray Dalio, for example, was famously quoted as saying that he got fired from one of his jobs for punching his boss in the face. That's pretty hardcore. I can't imagine how much a work situation would have to escalate for somebody to punch their boss in the face. It's kind of funny that the entrepreneurs that start these big-name hedge funds are so unique and they have their set beliefs that they're so passionate about. I think that's one of the secret ingredients you have to have to get a successful as these guys have gotten. Throughout his career, Jim Simons taught as a professor at Harvard and MIT, and much later in life is when he finally transitioned to finance. So he was around his late 30s or early 40s at this time. When he moved into finance, he was training currencies, commodities, and financial instruments. 
And I'm sure he was looking at all sorts of data and trying to make predictions in the markets, but he didn't apply his math skills to investing at this point. For the first two years in finance, Jim Simons didn't use any financial models. That seems kind of crazy, right? It's like this guy comes in from a math background. He's a super sophisticated mathematician, and he's got this deep skill set in math, and yet he doesn't use any of that in his finance career. It's kind of surprising. By the way, financial models sound really complicated, but the simplest way to think of a financial model is if you think of an equation that helps you predict what's going to happen to an asset price in the future. An example of a model might be an equation that helps you predict where the price of oil is going to go tomorrow. If your model says the price is going to go up, you would buy oil today. If the model says the price will go down, you would short sell oil today. And in either case, you'd make money. And of course, the model would have certain inputs as well. So you would put information into the model, like maybe it would be based on global trade or weather or volume data, and then the model would spit out what it would expect the price of oil to be. So lots of hedge funds these days use models to guide them on their trades. But back in the 80s, it wasn't all that common. Back then, Jim started to see that there was a lot of data available and that maybe he could build some models around all of this data. So he started to see this parallel from what he was doing earlier in his career in his army code-breaking days. And eventually he opened up his Renaissance Technologies hedge fund in the late 70s. So the fund is officially called Renaissance Technologies, but lots of people refer to it as Rentech. He had a unique approach where he would collect tons of data When the fund first started, they would get data from the Federal Reserve and then transcribe it so that they could analyze it with computers. Because you remember, this was way back in the day. All of this data existed, but it was in books and printed on paper. So he had to pay someone to transcribe all of it into computers so that they could analyze it. Jim's approach was really different from what a lot of other hedge funds were doing at the time. He focused on hiring science people instead of focusing on hiring finance people. This wasn't all that common on Wall Street. His goal was to get smart people together, give them lots of freedom, and keep open communication between all departments in the hedge fund. He also wanted to give them the best infrastructure so they would spend tons and tons of money on the best computers. And he also made everyone partners in the firm. Being partners meant that if the firm made lots of money, all of that would be shared with all the employees. So a lot of the people hired at Rentec were not finance people. He focused on hiring PhDs in physics, astronomy, math. Essentially, people who had done science and published research papers. He was essentially looking for these super smart people who were interested in applying their mind to the markets and to making money. He wasn't looking for finance people or people that knew how to read a balance sheet. His hiring selection was based on their academic skills. That makes sense to me. You can teach someone to read a balance sheet, but you can't teach someone above average IQ. As they say in basketball, you can't coach height. They have this fund called the Medallion Fund, and that went on to be a massive success. That fund has the best record in investing history. That's right, not one of the best, but the absolute best. The fund is like the Floyd Mayweather of investing, undefeated and undisputed. 
there's this book that came out in the last couple of years, and it's written about Jim Simons, and that's the first time that you could see the performance results of the fund out in the open. And it's mind-boggling. The fund returned over 66% per year before fees from 88 to 2018. And that whole time, it did not have a single down year. After fees, the fund returned over 39% per year. That's almost double Warren Buffett's track record at Berkshire Hathaway. That's an insane track record. To put it into perspective, if you had put only $100 into the fund in 1988, before fees, you would have had almost $400 million by 2018. There's a white paper that I'll link to in the show notes that goes into details on that. When I saw those numbers, I had to do a double and a triple check. They just seemed insane, and they are. That's why the fund has the best track record in investing history. Apart from the epic performance that the fund has, they also have some of the highest fees I've ever seen. Their fees are currently what's called 5 and 44, which means that they charge a 5% flat fee on all assets that they manage, and then they also charge 44% of their profits. That's crazy. Hedge funds went through a period where they were charging what's called 2 and 20, which means that the hedge funds were charging 2% on the assets managed and 20% of the profits. And people were saying that the 2 and 20 fees were way too high. So having a fee that is more than double of that is very eye-opening. But when you've got the best performance in investment history, you can kind of write your own rules. Of course, the fund is capped at a certain size because if it got too big, it would stop making those types of returns. So throughout the years, the fund has given money back to investors many times to keep the fund size around the $10 billion mark. It's the same problem that Buffett has. When you get to a certain size, your list of potential opportunities gets smaller and smaller. Mo money, mo problems, as they say. That's one advantage for regular people that invest their own money. The world is their oyster. They can buy any security, and they don't have to worry about moving the price halfway through fulfilling their order. So there's advantages to being a small investor as well. Small investors are much more nimble than these giant hedge funds. Now, Rentec has a few other funds that are open to outside investors, but none of those funds have done nearly as well as the Medallion Fund. That's an interesting side note, which brings me to Charlie Munger's favorite topic of incentives. The Medallion Fund today only holds money of the employees of Rentec, so there's no outside investors that are allowed to invest in that fund. And if all the employee money is in the medallion fund, it's no surprise that fund does so well. The people working on figuring out trading strategies have the incentives of doing their work in the medallion fund because that's where the majority of their money is. And the other funds that Rentec offers haven't come close to the performance of the medallion fund. That makes sense to me. If I'm a math PhD and I have 5 million bucks in the medallion fund, and only a couple hundred thousand dollars in the public funds, guess where I'm going to put most of my time, focus, and energy? Of course, I'm going to put all my effort and energy into the medallion fund research. That way, my work input is the same, but if I help the team, I get the benefit of doing a good job and personally profiting from my efforts. My takeaway there is if you're investing with someone, ideally you want them to have skin in the game, 
because that way your incentives are aligned. Now that we've covered the story, let's get into some of the details. I want to mention that all employees at Rentec sign non-disclosure agreements with the firm, so they make a legal agreement to never speak about anything they do at their jobs. I get why they're so secretive. The models they use are so hush-hush because you can't patent or copyright this sort of information. If you were to patent it, that means that through the patent process, you'd have to disclose all of it. And then the secret sauce is out there for everybody else to see and copy your investing style. It only works if you're the only group doing those types of trading strategies. So the amount of information out there is kind of limited, but I'll give you the takeaways that I've gotten from reading about Rentec and watching a bunch of Jim Simon's interviews. Before we dive into how they made all that money, I'll quickly mention that if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a rating and hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who would find this content valuable, please share this episode with them. My goal for the podcast is to help people learn the lessons from the best investors and to help people understand the stock market better. I think that's important today as there's lots of information out there that can lead people on the wrong path. And I would love for more people to benefit from this type of content. All right, so back to our story. What the heck were these guys doing to make such amazing returns? How can that be possible? First, I want to mention that Rentec is what's called a quant fund or a quantitative fund. That's a type of hedge fund that uses statistics and probabilities to make investments. In investing, there's the fundamental analysis style of investing that looks at cash flows, balance sheets, and so on. And then there's quants. Quants just look at the stats and probabilities and build models that try to predict what's going to happen to prices. And if the model works well, the quant fund can then make trades based on the model predictions. It's like that oil trading example I mentioned earlier. If you know what the price of oil is going to be tomorrow, you can place trades today to make money. So this is really different than the type of investing that Warren Buffett does. Warren Buffett would sit down, analyze a business, figuring out its competitive advantages, figuring out its balance sheet, and so on. These quant funds just look at data and try to figure out models that simulate the future. So what was Rentec doing in their trading strategies? Well, it's hard to say exactly because all of their employees are sworn to secrecy. But Jim Simons gave a few interviews where he would describe the big picture. Essentially, Rentec would comb through a massive amount of data and try to find any sorts of anomalies that they could exploit. An anomaly is a trend that is not random and that exists in the stock market. So an anomaly would allow an investor to make money, like in the oil trading example. Now, there are some anomalies that exist that are super well known. An example of one is the small cap effect. Broadly speaking, smaller companies tend to outperform large companies when looking at long-term returns. So if an investor's goal is to maximize returns without thinking of risk or anything else, they'd probably look at the small cap space. The small cap effect is something that's been well studied through tons of research papers. The types of anomalies that Rentec looks into are much more subtle. They would look at weather, annual reports, quarterly reports, trade volumes, historical data, and all sorts of other types of data. And what they would do is try to figure out if they can build models that predict the future price movements. 
The thing about anomalies is that there's lots of investors looking for them. So even if Rentec finds certain trading strategies that work well, those trading strategies might not work all the time into the future. Jim Simons talked about a strategy that worked well in commodities in the 60s. Then it started working less well in the 70s and it stopped working altogether in the 80s. So finding subtle anomalies allowed the medallion fund to make money without drawing too much attention. And just to give you an idea of how subtle these can be, let's take the analogy of blackjack at a casino. The casino house advantage against a good player can be as low as 0.5%. So the casino's odds of winning are as low as 50.5%, which is such a tiny, tiny edge. But when you have thousands of people coming in and playing blackjack per year, that 0.5% advantage, all of a sudden it translates to a lot of money for the casino. The same thing applies with Rentec. The anomalies are really subtle, but if they give Rentec a 0.5% edge and you compound that over thousands of trades per year, suddenly it adds up in a big way. By the way, Robert Mercer, who is one of Medallion's key investment managers, he has said that Medallion was right only on about 50.75% of their trades. It's amazing how such a small edge can make so much money when applied the right way. The Medallion Fund has never had a negative return year before fees. And that tells me the anomalies they're finding are not random and that Rentec found a way to have consistent slight edge in their trades. The gist that I got is that the Medallion Fund is very short-term focused. I don't know how long they would stay in positions. Maybe it would be seconds or hours, but I don't think they would hold on to a position for months or years. That's something that Charlie Munger has mentioned in one of his interviews where he was talking about Rentec. Now, anomalies can fade after a while, so it looks like they're on this constant search for the next anomaly. I think they're constantly testing out historical data to see if there's anything that can be exploited. And another thing that they do is that they use leverage to juice up their returns. Jim Simons has mentioned that one part of the equation is figuring out anomalies that they can bet on. The other parts of the equation are making sure that the volatility of the overall portfolio is not high. And essentially that means that they just don't want to have too much exposure to a certain sector or a certain company at one time. The other thing they have to do is they have to take their costs into account. They have huge transaction costs probably because they do tons of trades. And the other thing is they don't want their purchases to move the market. If I'm buying 200 shares of a stock, its price is not going to move much. But if I buy 200,000 shares, the price will move so much that I've distorted the market all of a sudden. So that's the other part of the strategy that is important for them to get right. There's over 100 PhDs working for Rentec, and some scientists refer to it as the best math and physics department anywhere in the world. And the fund is also 100% model-driven. So all of the decisions are made by the model and no trade is ever done unless the model says that trade is profitable. The employees at Rentec share in the profits and that helps with the whole teamwork environment. It's very powerful to work at a place where the company does well and then everybody shares in the wealth. That gives people incentive to work together for a common goal instead of trying to hide information from other departments or making their colleagues look bad. 
From a business perspective, the fund has some big barriers to entry. They have a crazy amount of data, and they also have built super sophisticated computer programs to test out all their models. Being able to do that allows them to find these anomalies, and that would be really hard to do for someone that's starting from scratch. So looking at some of the latest numbers, the Medallion Fund's return in Q1 of 2021 was 10%. And in 2020, the fund returned 76% gross of fees. So their amazing streak continues. All right, Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this week's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button, leave a review. And if you know someone who's interested in investing, please share this episode with them. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.